And that one's a bit ominous, huh? Exciting. All right. Let's get this right today. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. If you've never been to this church and that shocked you right now, that's okay. Welcome to church. Next time you'll know that those shouts are coming. So hi, y'all. Uh, welcome to Jericho Road Church and our new series, Lost Lessons, where we're going to be looking at some uh, important lessons that we can learn from the time when this nation of Israel was lost in the wilderness after they had been uh, freed from uh, Egyptian captivity. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. They were freed, and then they are in the wilderness for about 42 years. Uh, and God teaches them some things, and uh, they were in this like actual wilderness. And uh, uh, not like when we think of wilderness, we think of like a forest, or I think about like a jungle is like the wilderness. But the pictures that you saw in the uh, intro videos, that, that was the Sinai Peninsula. That's where their wilderness was. And so when they had some problems with not being able to find water or not being able to find food, you can see why. All of those were really barren, rocky sort of wilderness. So when the Bible says wilderness, that's what it's talking about. Not lions and tigers and bears or like snakes and serpents, but rather like barren, sort of desert, rocky, wasteland wilderness, uh, just like we saw. Uh, now, God had brought them into that wilderness for the first year and a half on purpose. So he brought them into that wilderness because he wanted to test them, and he wanted to train them for the promised land. And after a year and a half, God said, okay, you guys are ready. Let's go into the promised land. And the people of Israel said, nah, we're kind of scared. We don't want to. And God's like, what do you mean? You don't want to obey what I'm saying? And they're like, yeah, that's right. We don't want to obey what you're saying. And then they got punished for that uh, decision for 40 more years then they wandered around the wilderness. So the, at first it was intentional, and then the next 40 years were a consequence uh, for disobedience. And so uh, they were in the literal wilderness. But that event also speaks to a universal metaphorical reality. The idea that there is wilderness in all of our lives. Maybe it's a time of difficulty or isolation where we encounter troubles or sorrows, where we're in a really tough situation, or maybe... When we talk about a spiritual wilderness where it seems quite dry and dusty and, and uh, we get a little thirsty and we get a little lost and we get a little confused where, where it may seem that God is far away and our life is uh, in a really tough situation. Life can be overwhelming sometimes when we're in the wilderness where we may have lost our way and, and we kind of don't even know where to go. We just get all turned around in life. And so though they were in an actual physical, literal wilderness, there's a reality that happens for all of us that we go through wilderness as well. And wilderness in our lives, it's most likely not going to be literal. It's going to not be actual rocks and barrenness. But it's going to still feel real, even if it's not literal. And so what do we do in those times of wilderness? Well, why, does, why does God bring times or even allow times of wilderness in our life? And, and how should we respond or how do we navigate while we're in this kind of wilderness stuff? What lessons can we learn if we're caught in this place of wilderness? So in this series, we're going to attempt to tackle some of the questions, and we're going to look at what are some of the life lessons that we can learn, or what are some of the lost lessons that we can find from the Israelites' experience as they were in the wilderness. So let's talk first about like how do people get into the wilderness? You get into the wilderness in, in three different ways. Uh, the first reason uh, God would allow us to be in a wilderness, and this is we're going to see this paralleled in Israel and then in our metaphorical reality, the first reason is for testing and training. So that's the first reason we might find ourselves in the wilderness. The second reason is because of disobedience, and then it would be a consequence for disobedience. 
And the third reason is simply because we live in a broken world. So let's look at our first reason first. That God uh, might bring us into a time of wilderness in our lives, and he did for Israel, as a period of testing and training. And these, these two uh, ideas go hand in hand, testing and training, and you'll see it in the verses today. Sometimes the test is to see if like, you'll obey. So God wants to say, like, oh, are you going to listen to what I ask you to do? Are you going to obey what I'm telling you to do? And sometimes he's just testing us that way. And and uh, testing to see if you know the answer or the right way that he's calling you for. And then sometimes the the test is actually to train you up, to to build you up so that you can handle more than you could before the test. And we see God using the wilderness uh, in both of these kind of ways for the Israelites. So let's look at it in Exodus in uh, chapter 16. So the Exodus has the story of the, uh, or the narrative of Israel leaving uh, or exiting um, Egypt. And so here we pick it up in Exodus 16. So in the desert, the whole community, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites, they were saying to them, like, we just should have just died back in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and we ate all this food we wanted, but, but you've brought us out here into the desert to starve an entire assembly to death. Then the Lord says to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are going to go out each day and they're going to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and I'll see whether they'll follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and and that's to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And if you've been to church at all, you're familiar with this. God brings manna from heaven. This sort of like golden grams, uh, frosted flakes, shows up every morning for them, and they get to eat that every day miraculously. A miracle food falling every day. Next day, it would spoil if you tried to save it, because God was, what, testing them to see if they would obey, if they would trust him that that they will have enough for today and not to hoard it and try to cover themselves so like, oh, I've got all my extra protection so I don't need to rely on God anymore. Rather, I'm going to rely on my my good wits because I hoarded a bunch of this food. But God allowed that food to spoil every single night. So it would only last, that magic bread would only last for one day and it would be rotten. Next day you'd rather gather enough for the next day. So he was testing them to see if they would obey, and even more, if they would trust him in their time of trouble instead of hoard or or not believe that he's going to provide. See, he provided one day at a time, and that's how it is in reality. Sometimes we want God to lay the whole thing out for us. What am I going to do in five years and 10 years and 25 years, God? And what's my retirement going to look like? And and you show me the map, God, and you're going to show how perfect and nice it is, and that's the one I'm going to follow. But God doesn't work that way. God says, how about you trust me today? And then when your today ends, and if you have the privilege of waking up tomorrow, how about you trust me tomorrow? And I will provide for you day by day, just like we're seeing he does for the Israelites. Daily reliance on him. Do they trust him enough for God to provide? Now, God could have given more. God could have uh, provided the everlasting gobstopper manna, where they just got one and they ate it and then and it was like the same one over and over and over and it magically filled them up and they were never hungry. He could have done that. God has the miraculous power to do that. But he didn't. Why? Because he was testing them. He was trying to see if they would obey, if they would trust what he said was true. He said, do this thing each morning and I promise there'll be food for you. You don't listen to what I'm asking you to do, and there's not going to be any. You you try to hoard it, it's going to spoil. Do you trust me? And so God was using their wilderness experience to test them, and God will use our wilderness experience to test you, to see if you really do trust him, if you'd be willing to 
Uh, listen to his call. Are you listening to his word? Do you know that God wants you to do something? And are you going to obey him? Sometimes he gives you opportunity or difficulty in life to see if you will trust him. Now, I know something is true about our church. Our church is incredibly intelligent. And so uh, I know that you guys are good at taking tests. And so when God tests you, I want you to get an A on this one, right? That's like pressure, like your parents used to pressure you, adults. And now kids, this is going to be nice because I want you to ask regularly your parents, are you getting an A on God's test next time you come home with a B or C or a D? And you're going to show them that. Before you show them that, ask them how they're doing with the Lord and if they're getting an A on God's test. And you're going to show them their, your bad grade and they're going to go, nope, <laughs> got a C on God's test right now. <laughs> and so, but, but I want you to, kids, I'll, feel free to ask your parents, are you getting an A on God's test? And, and God will test us to see if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to follow him. And so I expect our church is incredibly intelligent. You guys are going to ace all the tests that God gives you. Don't worry, I have confidence in you. Next, we see that the test can move towards like proving something. This is in the same vein, so it's all included in the same point. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for then 40 years? He was humbling you and he was testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. That part we already saw. But he says he was testing you to prove your character. God uses a test in your life to prove something. Now, he's not proving it to himself, so be careful. He doesn't need to test you to see, oh, I wasn't sure. The proof isn't for God. The proof is for you to believe in you. See, God says, I want you to pass a test so that you know that you can do more than you think that you can do. So that when I provide for you, you trust that I will continue to provide for you. See, it, it proves something, but it proves something to you. When you're able to pass the test that God puts before you, then it proves not to God. God already knows all things. He knows exactly who you are, what you are, and the decisions you're going to make. But who's it prove it to then? The proof is for yourself. And so uh, proving that you are stronger than you think that you are. So sometimes you don't know how strong you are until the test comes. And then you ace that test and you're a man. Or like if you've ever been to the gym, you don't know how much weight you could pick up. And then you pick up a, the whole bar and you're like, man, I'm pretty strong. That whole bar, not even any weights. And then you put a little, two little fibers on there and you're like, boom, pretty strong right there, you know. Bar and two little fibers. And sometimes you don't know until you get tested. And so testing is a way to prove how strong you are. And that's what God does for us. It's a way for him to show you that you're better than you think you are. And I would bet this is true for almost all of us. That, that you're better than you think you are. Who's our worst critic all the time? Mm-hmm. Self. Who's the one that's saying, like, oh, you're no good, you're ugly, you're stupid. You're... Who says that? God's not saying that. Maybe the devil says that sometimes. But that's that's us. We're our worst critic. And so sometimes God will give you a test and you'll pass that test to prove to yourself that you're stronger and better than you actually think that you are. And along this line of, of sort of proving, testing to prove, is also this idea that God will bring wilderness to train us. These are sort of the same vein. And I think you'll see it here in this, this passage in Exodus here. When the people saw thunder and lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw this, like, this mountain had smoke all over it, and they, they were really trembling with fear. Now they stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak uh, to us yourself and we're going to listen. But don't have God speak to us or we're going to die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you 
so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So God's coming to test you in order to, to, to train you, in order to show you that the fear of God is a great thing. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So, so this word test here, as you can see in the context, is more about training than it is like testing to see if it's true or not. God was bringing these things, uh, this wilderness experience, so that they could fear God more, so that they could trust God more, so that they could train. So part of the use of a test is to train us. Testing for training is made super clear in the New Testament. Uh, in this passage in James, it says, Consider it pure joy, my, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so whatever wilderness you face, use it as an opportunity to grow stronger in your faith, to pray more, to, to rely on God more, to trust Him, and to, to dig deep into His Word so that you grow strong, strong roots in the faith. Whenever you're in the wilderness, take that opportunity to turn whatever difficulty or whatever troubles that you're facing, to turn it into this this training ground for you, that you can get stronger and stronger. See, God's willing to allow discomfort in your life if it will bring about a spiritual yield in your life. Because He's much more interested in your character than He is your comfort. God wants you to be strong. He wants you to be deep and powerful in the faith. And, and, and that kind of faith is, is only tempered in the fire. It's only found out or or discovered or built up in the wilderness. And so the wilderness is important for teaching, testing, and training us. The second reason we find ourselves in the wilderness, though, as a consequence for disobedience. So notice with me in this next Deuteronomy passage that God is going to use the wilderness as a punishment or as a consequence for rejecting him and his plan for their lives. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And this is kind of a long passage, so stick with it for just a bit. Then, as the Lord God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and we went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you had just seen in that intro video, I mean, that they had seen, uh, literally. And so we reached uh, Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, we have reached the hill country of the Amorites, uh, which the Lord God is giving us. See, the Lord God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it. This is after they had been there a year and a half. Uh, go take possession of it. The God of your ancestors told you, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And, they, and all of you came to me and said, yeah, let's go send some men to spy out the land uh, for us to bring back a report about the, road, the, the route that we we're going to take and the towns that we'll come to. And then that idea seemed good to me, Moses says. So I selected 12 of you, one from each of the tribe, and they left. They went to the hill country. They came to the valley of uh, Eshkol, and they explored it, and they took some of the fruit of the land, and they brought it down to us, and they said, wow, the land is so good that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go. You wouldn't go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, like, the Lord hates us. He's brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites. They're so strong to destroy us. Where will we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. Their cities are large. Their walls to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. That's like this warrior tribe. Then I said to you, well, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God is going before you. He's going to fight for you. And just like he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And then like he's been doing in the wilderness. 
there you saw how the Lord your God carried you like a father carries a son, like all the way you went until you reached this place. So don't worry about those people. God's been carrying you. In spite of this, though, you didn't trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire uh, by night and a cloud in the day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. When the Lord heard what you had said, he was angry and he solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors except Caleb, uh, son of Jephunneh. He'll see it. And I'll give him and his descendants the land that he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of uh, you, the Lord became angry with me also. And then he said, like, you shall not enter it. This is Moses talking either. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, he gets to go. And encourage him, because he'll lead the Israelites to inheritance. And the little ones that, said, uh, uh, that you said would be taken captive, like your children who don't know good from bad, they're going to be able to enter the land. They don't have to have a consequence for punishment for disobedience because they're just kids. I'll give it to them and, and they'll take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out back the way that you came into the desert along the route of the Red Sea. So we see this disobedience. They, they didn't trust God. They were going their own way. That can lead to a wilderness punishment. They were about to go in the promised land. God said, here it is. And they're like, oh, there's some big guys. We can't fight them. God says, don't worry. Just like I carry a baby. I carried you like a baby along this way. I'm going to carry you through there. I'm going to toss these people aside. You're going to take this amazing land. I got this promise for you. And then they go, no, we're going to disobey instead. We're not going to trust you, God. We're going to go our own way. God says, you don't trust me. There's going to be a consequence for that. Uh, I'll take the consequence. <laughs> and the consequence is he sent them back into this wilderness for another 40 years, till all those folks who chose to disobey died. The only two adults that got to enter the promised land were Joshua and Caleb because they were two of the spies that said, no, we could take it. We, God's on our side. And then all the kids who, who didn't have an opportunity to choose because they were too young. When the Israelites rejected God's plan to follow their own plan, they found themselves in this incredibly negative consequence. So I think if you're experiencing wilderness, you have to at least ask yourself the question, am I in this wilderness because of my own doing? Is there something that, 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 that God has asked me to change and I haven't changed it? Is there an addiction that I just simply can't let go? I mean, nobody else knows about it, but it's a sort of secret addiction. Is there things that God, ways that God has asked you to move or follow him in and you said, no, nah, that's way too Christian-y. You know, that's too much. Like every day I read the Bible? Oh, come on, God. Like I actually talk to my friends about Jesus? Nah. So sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness because we disobey God. And, and I think it's pertinent to ask, like, if you're facing wilderness, is this my bad? <laughs> did, I, did I disobey God? Have I done something against what God has asked me to do? Are there areas that I have not yet yielded my life to him? that he's asked, but I haven't. So if you, if you are, just repent and turn to him and, and make some changes. See, God is really quick to forgive, and, and often, now not always, but often he will relent from his punishment. Now this didn't happen for the Israelites, but oftentimes we've seen it in other passages in the Bible where God relents from the punishment. So if you're in a time of wilderness, and you're like, God, am I bad? I'm here because of this, I know this reason, my disobedience here. And you repent. Sometimes God will... He'll take you right out of that wilderness. Sometimes he yields. No, not always. Because God always does promise forgiveness. 
your sins absolutely will be forgiven by God. But he doesn't promise to take away consequences. So if you had sex with your girlfriend and she got pregnant, you're like, God, I'm so sorry. God's like, I forgive you and I love you. She's still having a baby. <laughs> you know, like the baby's still there. Like, um, God doesn't take away consequences um, even when he forgives us. Now, sometimes he does. So sometimes if you're in that tape, place of wilderness and it's too much for you and you know it's your bad, just be like, God, my bad. And, and, and God will sometimes relent. So the wilderness may be a consequence for our mistakes, but it's not always. Sometimes, we saw sometimes it's for testing and training. Sometimes it's for disobedience. But sometimes it's nothing that we even did. But it's because we're part of a broken world where even other people make bad decisions. We saw that just in the passage, I'm going to bring back that passage really fast. We saw that Joshua and Caleb, they what? They were going to get to go to the promised land. When? After 40 years. <laughs> so they had to go through the 40 years with all the other disobedient people until all of those people died. Then they got to go into the promised land. But at least they got to go into the promised land. So that was in Deuteronomy. Let's pull that really up really fast. Uh, just note that part where it says, uh, no one is going to get to see the good land except Caleb and uh, except Caleb's son of Jephneh. And then later on, a couple of verses down, a couple of sentences down, you see that Caleb will be allowed also into the land. So the wilderness wasn't punishment for them. And he's not saying it's training necessarily. For Joshua and Caleb, they go through the 40 years, but, but because of other people's bad. Because they're in this wilderness because someone else's bad choices. I know for me, I, I was in a wilderness for a long time. When my parents got divorced, when I was uh, in fifth grade, and that set off this massive wilderness experience. It wasn't even my bad. With massive consequences and negative things and all sorts of trouble and, and, and isolation and sorrow and all kinds of things. And it wasn't my fault at all. I had nothing to do with, with that decision. But their decision, their decision in this broken world, and because of this broken world, had a ripple effect. And I found myself in a wilderness because of their um, their mistakes. And it's because we're part of this broken world. This world isn't perfect. I think Romans says it really clearly. Paul in Romans writes, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For even the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed because creation even itself was subject to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay, brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So it, this is saying, like, where did cancers come from? Where did broken relationships come from? That came when Adam and Eve made a choice to sin. It didn't just break their personal relationship with God. It broke the whole thing. Sin came flooding into the world, and we live in a broken world because of it. And so sometimes we find ourselves in a wilderness simply because we are part of a broken, broken world where people are making all sorts of bad decisions. See, Caleb and Joshua had to endure the wilderness also, just like with everyone else. But I think there was a difference in how they went about the wilderness because there was a promise for them at the end. 
So they went the wilderness, same as everybody else, the difficulty, same as everyone else, but they knew at the end of this thing, there's this promise. At the end of this thing, I'm going to get to go into this good land as I'm trusting God. He's got something amazing for me at the outset of this uh, wilderness experience. And I'll tell you, no matter your wilderness, you have a greater hope than that of Joshua and Caleb, which will lead us to our singular lost lesson for today. Since took up most of the time here talking about wilderness, which will set up our whole series. So here's our last lesson for today. When you're lost, when you feel lonely, you're never alone. God always walks with you in the wilderness. He's our greater hope. Even in disobedience, God went with the people of Israel. Check out Deuteronomy 31.8. This is at the end of their wilderness experience. After their 40 years, they've all died. He's done a lot of miracles during that time. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Through their poor choices, through their rebellion, through their spiritual callousness, God was still with them. And the same is for you and I even more, if that were possible. No matter your situation, it doesn't matter if you brought it on yourself because of your disobedience. It doesn't matter if it's here because of a broken world or other people's bad decisions. It doesn't matter if it's a test from God or that he's training you. God is always with you in the wilderness. You are never traveling it alone. You always have the hope. Jesus says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And in Romans 8, it reminds us, is there anything possibly that could separate you from God's love? Who could possibly separate you from the love of Christ? Could trouble or hardship? Could wilderness or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life or or angels or demons or neither things that are present right in your life now or even the ones that are to come in the future. There isn't any power that's created in the universe. There's neither nothing that's higher or lower than you, good or bad, nothing, anything in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the New Testament is emphatic and consistent that you will never be separated from the love and provision because of Jesus. Even if you're in the wilderness, or especially if you're in the wilderness, you never travel it alone. Even if it's your bad. Even if you've done some terrible stuff, and that's the reason you're in the wilderness. God says, terrible stuff, you're going in the wilderness. Give me your hand, I'm going with you. I'll walk it with you. Just like Caleb and Joshua, though, They had a promise to keep going. But you and I, we have a greater promise. The love of Jesus that you can never escape from his love. You can never turn too far away from being out of grasp of his love. You can never be too deep in the wilderness where he doesn't love you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And this is our lost lesson. That though you feel lost, If you have Jesus, you are always found. You always are with hope.
Say an amen to yourself if you're hearing what I'm saying. So I don't know what season you're in right now. I don't know what wilderness you're finding yourself in. I, maybe you've got storms in your life. Maybe it's really calm. Maybe you're not in a wilderness, but you're in a beautiful green field right now, and your kids moved out of your house, and your finances are pretty set, and like you know, you got a, a new little kitten, and like life is good, you know, like you know. Maybe you're in a really great spot. I, I don't know your situation, but one thing I do know is that Jesus loves you and is with you, no matter what situation you find yourself in, either barren wilderness or or ardent garden. Jesus is with you and he's walking with you. And so let's pause. If you'd close your eyes just for a moment with me and, and, and allow yourself to be reminded of this truth. Wherever you are in life, that this lost lesson, that no matter how lost you feel, you are always found. No matter how alone you feel or how lonely you feel, you are never alone. You can never, never get away from the love of Christ. He has it for you right now and he'll have it for you tomorrow. 